0: are here's eric garland how are you eric
1: hello Zev. how's it going never a dull moment sir
0: so let's move on to something not necessarily more fun because it entails the you know the democracy we live in and whether it will sustain itself into another election but let's talk about uh just on a
1: later (laughs) note remember i think we're setting the tone for the audience here that if you end up on narrative live with zev and eric Something's gone horribly wrong for
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might want to think about something else. <laughs> you might want to think about your choices your in your life. life. <laughs> your life <laughs> choices. Yeah. But, yeah wait, let's let's you... talk about... <laughs> no, it's fine. I need to laugh after that segment. It's so hard to cover this great story because you're constantly... And the dog. Bombarding.
1: I love the dog because I'm sending... We, you know, a lot of people are telling me they jump on Twitter, they jump on social media, and there they just shut it right down because you know there's the real-time... Images of war, and yeah. uh, it's hard. And you know, it's like a dog that saves people. This, you know, the yeah. little images of happiness and that uh, human spirit that will not be crushed. And the yeah, dog's so spirit. proud
0: of it. He's so happy. Patron. It means ammo. I didn't know the patron means ammo, but it's a good uh, cartridge. Yes, cartridge, a like a, yeah, a, yeah, like yeah, for a weapon. Sure. Yeah. So we've been doing on the show of the last few weeks a series called Command and Control. Where we've been looking at how in charge was Donald Trump really on january the 6th like was he really calling the shots and there's an increasing number of evidential points facts and other things that point to him actually being quite in control in the months and weeks leading up to it, but also on the day and just some of the things we've discussed in the last few weeks is obviously a lot more than than i'm about to show you here but the key evidence that we showed you two weeks ago was the jenny thomas texts you know those Texts from the wife of Clarence Thomas, which to Mark Meadows, which you know, seemed to me like though they were you know cooperating in a coup attempt to overthrow the government, or at least she was encouraging him to do so. That's what I took away from that particular exchange of text messages. But we also last week spoke about the seven and a half missing hours of logs. So, you know, these are the call logs that are missing from the presidential call logs. Seven and a half hours—a long time. We were suggesting that maybe he was in the White House, but not quite in the Oval Office, maybe in the Operation Center, the Presidential Operation Center, where he could have met with some of the other collaborators in the coup plot who were just across the street at the, I was going to get it wrong, the Willard Hotel. So that's the the other thing we were talking about last week. Now come along these new batches of texts from Mike Lee, and we're going to to discuss some of that today. But there's also these new batches of texts from uh, Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers. And it does seem to all add up to a mm-hmm. pretty convincing story that donald trump is made the choices made every single choice necessary to be the ringleader of an attempt to overthrow the will of the people during an election and act you know that there's he is the guy who is at the center of all of this
1: oh uh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i almost had nothing to add which yeah. is rare right because you know i'm sure there were other people thinking about how do we overthrow this democracy? I'm sure there and we've read texts from them and we've heck the pillow guy, Mike Lindell there, you know, remember that day he walked into the White House and he had his notes out, not thinking oh, yeah. too much that the cameras that the reporters have have good resolution. They could see what he's you know <laughs> is written on that thing. And it's like you know, put cash Patel over to CIA and, you know, get rid of bill of rights and stuff like that. So he had, Trump took lots of different ideas from lots of people, but what makes his role so special on that day, of course, is he was president of the United States of America Yeah, and him being in that presidential emergency operations center, he would have been in a place to give orders or, you know, especially talking to the the department of defense to stand down and not do things. So that yeah. remains a big question, but we it keep learning question. more about what his co-conspirators were up to, you know, who were in the legislative branch tied to the judicial branch, you know, in other parts of the executive branch. So we're all
0: on a learning curve. We're all yeah. learning people. We're all learning. And there's, there's a lot of information coming out all the time. Just this map, by the way, just so people understand why I'm showing it, that that red box is probably where the operations center, which is now, you know, they've built a second one. You see that uh, that pink triangle? That's the new one that they've built, you know, it's a whole new facility underneath the Oval Office designed for these big things. And I'm not even sure that's where it is because it's so secret, but it's somewhere around there. The red box is the old operation center. It's unclear if the new one has even been started to be staffed or what, but it could be that this old operation center wasn't going to be the one used for a big emergency. So maybe it was even easier for the president to access it and to meet whomever across the street. Were staying in this blue box uh which is the willard hotel which is where roger stone rudy giuliani and others were staying
1: okay so if you look at where the your teal meets your red line there yeah. in the east wing the operation center is like straight underground from right. there right. according to the maps i've seen how far does it go out look there's you know there's a lot going on in that part of the world and you know it's classified <laughs> so that's, it's a good thing we don't know with
0: all this information we do know that this yellow box exists this is the official secret exit to the white house it's just they call it now an unmarked exit because it's no longer that secret but this is there is a way out of the white house under the through this tunnel that takes you to h street We were supposing that maybe there's one that connects Mm -hmm. the tunnel under the Willard Hotel to that tunnel. And maybe you could also get from the Willard Hotel to the Treasury and then through to the White House a notice where you could have meetings. Who knows? We'll find out in the next few days or weeks where where Donald Trump really was on that day. I found this great clip, though, and I've held on to it. You know, sometimes I find a clip and I'm like, I'm going to keep this one in the bank. I'm going to need it one day because I'm sure he's lying. This is Mark Meadows. I'm not even sure the date, but it was months ago. As all the stuff was, as Bannon was
1: indicted for contempt of Congress, here's Mark Meadows explaining. Sorry, I, just, I just love the process. They're like, Hold on, we're all in front of our computer. Hold on, let me, uh, you know, select, click, you know, copy, paste new yeah. new file. I think he's lying. Let's just save this for next time. <laughs> and really,
0: it's plain that he is, because here he is saying.
1: Well, that, obviously, that's not the case. Uh, in fact, I've told them that to my knowledge, no one uh, in the West Wing had any advanced knowledge of what was going to happen on January 6th in terms of a breach of security. Additionally, uh, a number of things that took place uh, actually actually would not go towards uh, supporting that narrative.
0: Well, that ain't true. We know that that's just not true. We know that people in the White House knew exactly what was going on on that day and knew well in advance.
1: Also, we're kind of, you know, since and it's great you get the map up. Because we're yeah. doing some DC geography here, or there. Sometimes these guys telling themselves a little bit. I wonder if he was trying to be clever by half. They're like, no one in the West Wing knew what was going on oh. that day because <laughs> they were on the other <laughs> side of the. Like, it could be,
0: it could be I was trying that. But you know, the truth of it is, Mark Meadows knew exactly what was going on, and these text messages between him and, and Mike Lee are just like, I mean, they're just very revealing. So. In some ways, they tell a good story for Mark Meadows because it does seem like Mike Lee and Mark Meadows were working on a different path. You know, there were two ways to overthrow an election, and I guess they thought there were two ways. There was one way which was these uh, false slate of electors that could be submitted by the different states. Now, there would have to normally be really a second slate of electors, not like, some imagined second slate, but nevertheless, the GOP and the Senator Mr. Lee over there decided that they could get these people, these ordinary people to decide that the slate of electors that were sent there based on the will of the people were not actually the will of the people. And they we're going to replace them with this new slate of electors. And there is some constitutional ground. It's shaky, but it is constitutional ground where you could question an election based on you know a, a second slate of electors are showing up. It's not a common thing. It's obviously never happened in American history, but it is worrying people because it might happen in the future. And this is why there's so much consternation about this attempt by the Republicans to make sure that any election that they don't win in the future will be contested on a state level because this is their plan. Their plan is to reject any election they don't win going forward. And that's why this is quite serious. So Mike Lee was the one sort of promoting that theory. There must have been other people in Donald Trump's ear during that period of time suggesting that the vice president also could do that. The vice president also had a role in overturning the elections because he was handling the proceedings of counting the elections. This is also untrue. No one believes that. But somehow, Donald Trump learns to believe that.
1: Yeah. Well, there is, I believe, some language. and you know, Is it the 12th Amendment? It's, it's in the Constitution constitution somewhere that says, and the vice president, I think this is the the language, the vice president shall then, you know, sanctify and put in the votes and, you know, the legal argument, (laughs) I mean, that doesn't leave any room. And I believe Pat Cipollone and Mike Pence's general counsel and all the other attorneys, uh, not all the other attorneys, I think Eastman it was an attorney who was like, no, we could do it this way. And the rest of them are like, are you insane? No, no one will. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, but they're like, well, but what if we tried? <laughs>
0: you know? Well, this is the thing. I mean, there were so many people even before the elections making such an attempt to try and overturn the elections because they knew he was going to lose. That these these text messages are just quite revealing. Now, the first few are not really worthy of us going through in too much detail, but they are essentially Meadows and Mike Lee, you know, discussing that they are planning to overthrow the election going forward, and there's various ways of doing that. And uh, at one point here, Mike Lee sends a, a note with a bunch of other people to Mark Meadows, which says, we, the undersigned, offer our unequivocal support for you to exhaust every legal and constitutional remedy at your disposal to restore Americans' faith in our elections. This fight is about much more than just this election. This fight is about the fundamental fairness and integrity of our election system, the nation is depending upon your continued resolve. Stay strong and keep fighting, Mr. President. Sincerely, and then it goes through a bunch of people here, uh, which includes Lee and Congressman Mike Johnson, and I don't know, a bunch of other people. So this is them saying, "Hey, we, you know, we, we back you here. Go for it, buddy." will support you. Then comes this next page of back and forth where we've got Mike Lee to Mark Meadows saying, we're sending this as a private communication from us to him through you, but we are not issuing a press release. Use it however you deem appropriate. And if it's helpful to you for you to leak it, feel free to do so. Mark Meadows responds with a question mark, question mark. Yes. Mike Lee responds, Sidney Powell is saying that she needs to get in to see the president, but she's being kept away from him. Apparently she has a strategy to keep things alive and put several states back in play can you help her get in it was at the president's request that sydney has been working on a strategy and has been trying to get in to see him but she's been kept out and then from mike lee to mark meadows he gives her the his powell's email address and phone number so this is interesting that it was you know mike lee who is the champion of sydney powell's efforts which is surprising to me i didn't expect him to be the guy pushing her and pushing her into the White House,
1: even though her strategies turned out to be like way off base. Well, and before that, she was Mike Flynn's attorney trying to get him off of, you know, before Trump just went ahead and pardoned him, you know, so Mike Lee's pretty tied to Mike
0: You would think so. You'd think that there's some sort of connection there because it does seem like that whole crowd, they did get to see her. They did get to see the president, at least, on uh, December 18th, if I recall correctly, Flynn and Powell, and who else was there? I may have even been some congressional leaders from state senates, or state congressional leaders, I should say, present there as well. I'm not sure who else was there. I don't know if... I know Meadows was there, but I don't know if Mike Lee was present at that meeting. But it does seem they got in. You know, on December 18th, that's where they got the approval for the plan for January the 6th. That's how we know that that happened. So, you know, it's interesting that they were coordinating this with Sydney as early as November. I mean, just think about
1: those days after the election and they were just getting around to calling some states because there things were slow and so much has happened. We kind of forget like the, you know, COVID, you know, was all over the place. Things were shut down, which made voting hard. So you had, you know, mail-in ballots, and of course, you had Louis DeJoy, who's, you know, messed up the post office, which we covered on yeah, Narrative. So much. Uh, hey? and so four days—that was four days after the election. It like I believe even the TV news—it wasn't quite like they're like, well, Biden pretty much won. They didn't. Yeah. It wasn't like normal, like. Boom.
0: No, they were still afraid to make the final call. So, you know, meanwhile, we now know that in those days there was this uh, turf war going on as well between Mike Lee and Ted Cruz and our friend Josh Hawley because. In this particular set of exchanges, Mike Lee's uh, telling Mark Meadows that he has great concerns with the way his friend Ted is going about this effort. And I presume his friend Ted is Ted Cruz, because I can't imagine who else it would be. Uh, he says this will not inure to the benefit of the president. Everything changes, of course, if the swing states submit complete competing slates of electors pursuant to the state law. But if not, this could help people like Ted and Josh Hawley, we think, to the detriment of DJT. So... In other words, it could have been, you know, he's alleging here that these guys, uh, Ted Cruz and Hawley, these two fellow senators, were, you know, doing things that might not be good for the then sitting president, Donald Trump, maybe working against his interests by setting him up to fail on January the 6th. Well, that's interesting, too, because who knew the former president, Donald Trump, would not take kindly to knowing that Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz were stabbing him in the back with their plan, which is what Mike Lee seems to be insinuating here.
1: Yeah, but and it's weird because Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz both seemed very, very excited about the whole overthrow the democracy thing on Mm -hmm. that day. Yeah. So
0: interesting that they may have been pushing a, an agenda that would have gotten Mr. Trump in trouble. This goes on to say, I don't think the president is grasping the distinction between what we can do and what he would like us to do. Nor do I think he's grasping the distinction between what certain members are saying that sound like they could help him, but would really hurt him. He's got a very real opportunity to win in 2024. That opportunity could be harmed in multiple ways by this effort. From Mike Lee to Mike Meadows, then again, all of this could change if the states in question certified Trump electors pursuant to the state law. But in the absence of that, this effort is destined not only to fail, but to hurt DJT in the process. Well, that doesn't sound like a very united Republican Party to me. That sounds like a very uh, fractured, but you know, a Republican Party.
1: You know, all political regimes and parties are coalitions mm-hmm. uh, that have, have people of different interests and they're, you know, they're human beings who have the things that they want over other people, self-interest, I guess. So that's not surprising. What's what makes this dynamic so interesting is that they all want to overthrow the democracy in their own unique way. So we get to learn about the flora and fauna of each kind of traitor. Yeah. They, yeah.
0: <laughs> they, they, they're able to overthrow the government so they can win, is basically what they want <laughs> for themselves. They'll overthrow democracy if yes. it turns out that they get to win. That's the lesson from these text messages. So it goes on, and this is um, a striking. Uh, they talk about, between you and me, I fear that for some of this could be a feature, not a bug, he's talking about this hurting the president. There are plenty of others perhaps who are advocating the strategy with the best of intentions, but without fully understanding the ramifications. I don't purport to n- know who fits into which category. Mm-hmm. I know only that this will end badly for the president unless we have the constitution on our side and unless these states submit new states of Trump electors pursuant to into the state law, we do not. And then we should chat then. I'd love to be proven wrong about my concerns, but I really think this could be all backfire badly unless we have uh, legislature's permission submitting Trump slates, you know, these alternative slates, even setting aside constitutional concerns. This will be harmful for the president if we don't channel this effort properly. We simply have no authority to reject a state-certified electoral Mm -hmm. vote in the absence of a dueling slate with the Trump slate competing, coming from a state legislative determination.
1: Can we hang on that on that yeah, little yeah. paragraph, which I've read before, and I've gone to check out Mike Lee's biography, make sure mm-hmm. I got everything correct. He is a serious attorney, and I believe he clerked for the Supreme Court. He's a guy who knows his stuff when it comes yeah. to law. Not there are plenty of people, you know, in the Trump administration who are chuckleheads, and you know, you learn to discount you know their opinions or their expertise, and go, these guys are just banging around, they don't know what they're doing. Mike Lee's not one of them. You know, he's a senator and, you know, he's got a lot of experience in the law and constitutional law as well. I think he's basically saying that the only way we could get this maybe through the Constitution If there's a dueling slate of electors, Mm -hmm. there's some. So he's like hanging this on a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of language in some statute or constitutional provision. My question is, you know, did anybody run this by like people actually sitting on the Supreme Court like like (laughs) Clarence Thomas or anyone (laughs) like that? that?
0: you know, he, he would have endorsed it, right? I mean, he would have thought any of these plans would have worked for Clarence Thomas, no doubt. But you, you know, know they know have only a team the of th- uh, lawyers there for the president. They could have just asked them whether they thought this was legal.
1: And appa- <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> they had several people like Barr and Rosen <laughs> and Cipollini and others who were like, no, none no, of you this. Can't. I'm leaving, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye.
0: <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this. It's totally illegal. I'm out of here. You guys are stupid <laughs> for doing it. They had attorneys around
1: who are like, this, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, no. Now, I'll risk out. my, my <laughs>
0: pension or whatever it is they get by just storming out of here right now because this is such a bad idea. But you guys go ahead. Knock your socks off. You know, then Meadows sends uh, Trump a, an article from Breitbart, which says, that, you know, President Trump was talking to state legislators about reviewing the evidence and decertifying unlawful election results. So Mike Lee's emboldened by this. He says to Mark Meadows, should I take this as a sign that he gets it? Mark Meadows says, well, not as good as it appears. How so, says Mike Lee. Well, he thinks the legislatures have the power, but that the VP has power too. Mike Lee says VP, but not the House and the Senate. Mark Meadows to Mike Lee, I'm not sure. So, well, that's just where you get to see the president was making a call. He had a choice between am I going to leave it to the state and the House and whatever they want to do, or do I leave it to the vice president? who he thinks someone told him, I guess, had some power in doing this, which we now know didn't really matter because the Pence is not going to do it anyhow, but also Pence doesn't have the power. The vice president doesn't really have that power.
1: So uh, you can almost see that they've come up with the shittiest plan and the tiniest speck of language in some document (laughs) that's, you know, legal. (laughs) <laughs> sorry, didn't put that any yeah. better, but it's not like their plans any better. So they're like, no, no, no. We get the alternate electors. Okay. So we'll call everybody in Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, and we'll they'll form another group, a, a bunch of boy bands that are pro-Trump in <laughs> nature and see, because if that would fit the definition of this in, under the statute, and then they'll come and do it. And somebody told Trump or Mike Pence could just tell him. Go screw no. These yeah. aren't the electors, and so because it was a bad election, a fake election, no. And then Trump could treat that, and Mike, no, Mike will do it. And they're and they're like, "That's yeah." No, I'm force a Mike to do it. Mike's role, such a. <laughs> you can see how that roll. No, we have to do the boy band idea. It's because <laughs> the ceremonial role. These are all terrible ideas. These are right. all bad ideas, yeah. and they were correct. This is going to add badly for the president. They're, correct. It- and the, you know, and
0: so Pence was not such a pushover. I mean, they thought they were just going to bully him into doing this. You know, I'm not going to be your friend, Mike, whatever he is. He said to him at you those hours before, like that's a real threat. And Mike Pence was not that big a pushover. And of course, the threat to his life, you know, didn't help very much. But, you know, what happened to the idea of just governing and winning an election based on the fact that you actually have good policies
1: and that people actually like you? We're <laughs> You and I are copacetic on this. We're both, you know, we like... Representative to democracy, you know the Renaissance, uh, you know the Enlightenment, democracy, all that stuff, yeah. and then there's some people who all have an alternate. Yeah, but what if we didn't? What if we always won, and then we shoot you if you think otherwise? <laughs> it seems like it's a toss up between these two systems. I'm stuck with my team jersey, you know? Yeah, I mean, it seems like I a better way I'm, to go. You know, I just feel like
0: if we just <laughs> did the, if we could just go back to the way things were, where we just did things based on policy, we wouldn't have to deal with this every few years, which is going to be what we do now for the next few years. That every time this corrupt party gets into power, they're going to be claiming that they can be thrown out of power, which is, you know, just it's not sustainable. I'm sure they realize that it's not sustainable, and surely they realize something needs to be done. I'm just not sure... It's being done. And this was the article in the New York Times today, which also is raising a lot of concern around, you know, what happens if next time you know, Trump is elected, if he is elected, if anyone from that party is elected, then they just refuse to certify a loss by him. You know, that is it, that's game over. It's the end of the constitution, it's
1: the end of America. I kind of feel like, you know, that they did so much, you know, social media, you know, profiling and kind of psyop to push authoritarianism as this good option and it's like they got a bunch, you know, they really pressed on people's daddy issues and, <laughs> and make people afraid and then, you know, but then you're going to have this like father figure of the country who's going to take over, right? And that was very specifically done and I feel like, you know, Maybe we should have like a narrative, like two hour special on like okay, what is it actually like in countries that have authoritarian mm. dictatorships? Like, mm. what's it like? Like, welcome to sunny North Korea. Mm-hmm. And here's like, here's where people, here's what people's vacations are like. Here's what yeah. people's jobs are like, you know, take a look at Cuba. But those you know, countries, are not, no that fun places to be, the, you know, the, the ones with the liberal democracies we learned in the 20th century, the ones with the democracies, you know, have some better jobs, better food, you know, go on nicer vacations and Like the autocracies, you end up dying in a coal mine and, you know. (laughs) No
0: one will ever tell that story to the world. You'll just disappear because they have no freedom of the press and they don't like to discuss those things. It is the war that they're fighting in Ukraine. It is the war that we're fighting around the world. You know, there's just... Any way you look at the world right now, this is the battle that's going on. It's a battle between democracy and autocracy. And you know, I keep hearing both Zelensky and Biden using this is light versus darkness. It really is. It is, as you describe those places in dictatorships, people live in darkness, both in information darkness, but also in just a life of darkness. There's just no hope for people in dictatorships, unless you're somehow landed up in the right place at the right time where the dictator gives you something. Everybody else suffers. There's no upward mobility. There's no meritocracy. Uh, there's nothing. Uh, and there's these ridiculous wars where your people are treated like cannon fodder, like as we're seeing is going on right now in Russia and Ukraine.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, then, well, so, I, I like our system better. And it's hard to say that if you know America's history and you know how messy democracy is, it's hard to say anything, you know, truly good or enthusiastic. It, a lot of it sucks but not compared to these alternatives.
0: The democracy can be messy, but it can also achieve incredible things. And I think it does time and time and time again.
1: So. And, and here's what I would want to sell to the people who might be in favor of Trump, in favor of that judge. Here's the thing. You really don't like what that judge did. You know, there's things that I you know, don't like about someone. I don't want her to be shot to death for doing something I didn't like or believing something that I didn't believe. I want to go to the ballot box and go, gosh, darn it, or I'm going to run for something, yeah. uh, or I'm going to write an article. On our team, you know, we can disagree with you, and we're not going to have you shot uh, because we impose a curfew after dark because we don't like the, how the election came out. And these, these other guys, they're going to have a shot. Yeah. So I think that's what it comes down to.
0: I think you're 100% right. You know what? We're just getting started on our command and control uh, series because there is so much more in this investigation that each little piece of evidence just says, well, it looks like Trump was involved in this piece of the decision-making process and in that piece of the decision-making process and maybe in every piece of the decision-making process that it is going to be very hard, I think, for this uh, commission to not conclude that Donald Trump was in command and control of January the 6th and the insurrection. And who knows what happens at that point for the DOJ and others? But you know that'll uh, be—I'm pretty sure that's where we're heading. Come the public hearings at the end of May and June.
1: Well, Jamie Raskin came out and said there are more crimes that we haven't discussed yet that we will. Yeah. So this is a
0: prelude to that, and uh, we'll keep doing that on narrative. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow because we could have an interesting interview tomorrow. But we'll talk about that if it happens when it happens tomorrow that's the show for tonight good night eric narrative is made possible by viewers like you join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative that's patreon.com forward slash narrative